everybody welcome back to another episode of can you dig it a podcast by silverscreenandroll.com with me christian rivas coming from you live well not live i mean i am live by the time you hear this we'll have recorded it several hours before but the point is i'm in my car so you might hear car noises um, <laughs> i'm hoping that's not the case uh but if it is, uh, Jacob, you are home and you were not in your car. Um, so at least they have that. They have your beautiful sounding voice coming through a high quality microphone. Um, are you driving to, to Orlando to, uh, to personally <laughs> apologize to Rajon Rondo? I should be, but no, I'm not. Um, that, I don't know. What the hell is going on? 2020 has been weird enough as is, uh, but I think this is one of the few ways 2020 has been weird in like a positive way. I can speak for both of us, I think, when I say that in I, I new playoff Rondo was a myth, <laughs> or at least I thought he was. Um, but I, I heard the tales, I've even seen a few games where I'm like. You know, Rondo maybe isn't the worst point guard in the world. Um, But that was two years ago, and nothing about his tenure with the Lakers made me think that this was the type of player that the Lakers are going to get in the postseason. Um, Like, he had that game against the Suns earlier this year. Uh, He had that game against the Celtics and the Warriors last season. Those games were really fun. The OKC game this year, too. Right. Good Lord. Did not (laughs) expect any of this. Um, He's been incredible, with with the exception of that first game and a few possessions of the past two games. Um, The Lakers needed a boost in the fourth quarter of Tuesday's game, and I honestly didn't know where it was going to come from. Uh, Kyle Kuzma obviously helped. And I really enjoyed watching him play off ball because I think, Jacob, the biggest concern for me with Rondo coming back was it's going to take the ball out of Alex Russo and Kyle Kuzma's hands. Um, The former – I wasn't too concerned about being a ball handler, at least he shouldn't be. With Kuzma, I was a little more worried because he looked like he was just starting to find his rhythm. Um, but Kuzma is doing what he did last season when he shared the, with the floor with LeBron and Rondo and, and is moving off of the ball really well. Uh, but obviously he needed to receive those passes from somebody. Uh, and I, I think Rondo and LeBron did a great job of setting him up. Expected that from LeBron, did not expect that from Rondo. There has been nothing Rondo has done the last two games that I expected. Um, yeah, that first game, I mean, I guess we're just chalking up like he had a six-month layoff between games. He needed exactly one game to shake all the rust off. Right. And now he is uh, fully evolved to his final form of playoff rondo. Um, 
yeah, on in game two, that was wild enough. I'm thinking ten points, nine rebounds or nine assists, five steals, like holy crap, this is as good as it gets from Rondo. This is incredible. Um, if we can get this every night, we're gonna be set. And then the fourth quarter happened last night, and that was unbelievable. Um, I don't have the exact stat pulled up, but I think he was responsible for something like 23 of 24 points for the Lakers at one point in the fourth quarter um, between scoring and assisting. And, I mean, to be honest, through the first three quarters, I didn't think he was all that great, but really there wasn't a Laker outside of LeBron that was. Yeah, Um, and to be clear, LeBron was – like god tier last night like on as far as playoff games go the best game i've seen from lebron james in a lakers uniform by far um he but rondo i mean i was kind of having this internal discussion because for much of the three first three quarters rondo's value was his passing and i'm like is it really worth playing rondo just to get a half dozen really good entry passes a game because nobody else in the Lakers can really do it. So it was kind of right. a, uh, an honest discussion I was having. And then, yeah, he went bonkers in that fourth quarter. The lineups that there – well, first, Rondo, the last two games, has a net rating of 30.5. <laughs> um, and the lineups well, – I'm curious – oh, sorry. I was, I was going to say, I'm curious as to who's second. Uh, give me just a second. Is it Marquise? Well, I was going to say he was going to be the next thing I was going to talk about. It very well might be Marquise. It is uh, 27.8 for Marquise in the last two games. The lineup of it's Rondo, Caruso, Kuzma, LeBron, and Marquise in the last two games have played 16 minutes, have a 169.7 offensive rating, a 96.8 defensive rating. That's a 72.9 net rating. Um, Keith has been enormous, which, go ahead. I would say pat yourself on the back, but I don't want you to wreck. But you're the one who called <laughs> Keith uh, an X factor coming into this series. Yeah, I think the whole the whole Mark Keith signing was kind of rooted in the idea that he could play small ball against teams like the Houston Rockets. And in hindsight, there is only one team like the Houston Rockets, and it's the Houston Rockets. Um, although I thought um, Mike D'Antoni made a great point the other day when he talked about the Miami Heat only having one player taller than uh, the guys he plays. I think I, it's a valid point. I think the players they do have that are that height, though, um, it's not so much their height as it is their play style. Like, obviously, Bam is an undersized center, but he does not play like it at all. Um, yeah. He is an all-star caliber center. Um, but, no, I think this is the type of series we expected Marquise to do well in. Uh, it's also a series that we expected Kyle Kuzma to do well in because as good of post defenders that the Rockets have, um, and even rim protectors. Like, I watch some Rockets, and obviously I look at the – like stats.com on a daily basis, but I did not know Robert Covington was, has been such an elite rim protector since he got traded to the Rockets. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he is elite. I'm not, I'm not using hyperbole there. And, uh, Lakers fans have seen that a little bit in this series, but um, for him, for, for Markeith Kuzma and AD, the whole point and, uh, or the keys to them being successful in this series uh, were being able to, you know, make open three point shots and attack the basket from behind the three point line. Uh, which I think we've seen is where AD's had the most success. So um, we knew this was, there was a possibility that the Lakers forwards would have a big series. Um, there was some skepticism with how AD would perform against P.J. Tucker. Last night, it didn't seem like any of the Rockets had an answer for AD, uh, at least not without fouling him. So that's a really good development. Um, and I'm – I mean – this series can go either direction. It's only it's only a two one series, but over the last two games, I've been really pleased from from what I've seen. And I did this last series, and I I don't want to go to quite a, as much of a a statement. Last series after the Lakers won Game Two, I went on the Lakers Outsiders podcast and said the series is done because I just <laughs> I I figured at that point I knew that the Lakers had figured out Portland and. I mean, game one was a all-time historically bad shooting performance. Um, this time around, I was a lot more concerned. But I don't want to go as far as to say is obviously the series isn't over. But first, the Rockets would need to beat the Lakers three times out of the next four games, which that alone, I I, I can't envision that. And then... The Rockets are actually shooting the ball abnormally well. Um, So I looked this up this afternoon. Before the Capella trade, they shot 34.8% from three. After the Capella trade, it was 34%. Their number of attempts just skyrocketed. Round one against OKC, it was 35.9%. And so far in this series, they're shooting 39.3%. So I've seen a lot of sentiment that, like, well, the Rockets are going to get really hot one game, and they'll probably still win at least one more game. I don't entirely buy that because they've been really hot shooting the right. last two games. Uh, I believe Pete had the stat that the Rockets were like 16-0 and this year when they shot over 40%, and then game two was the first time they lost, and then game three is the second time they lost. So it's not like the Lakers are – beating Houston because they're not making shots. They're beating Houston in spite of them making shots. So, and, and last night it seemed like they really had figured something out. Um, that was the fewest threes they had taken. Uh, I think it was exactly 30 since, since the Capella trade. Only one other time this season um, had they taken under 30 shots, and that was against Denver, I think, in, in early January. They were 12 of 30 last night. And I looked further into it on cleaning the glass. I couldn't really get exact figures, but that was the highest percentage of mid-range shots that they had taken pretty much this season and definitely since the Capella trade. So the Lakers, I thought last night, did a really good job of forcing them off the three-point line, but then essentially just sitting back at the rim and saying, we'll give you that mid-range shot, but you're not getting to the rim and you're not shooting three-pointers. And you could see a lot of times that 
the Rockets almost looked confused. Like they, uh, there was one play in particular I remember where Austin Rivers, it was in the second half, maybe the fourth quarter, um, where he got forced off the three-point line and he was on the wing and takes one dribble. And like you could see like his basketball instinct was to take a mid-range shot. And he kind of hesitated to take it, and it, he was totally open, and then stopped and kicked it back out to a three or to a guy behind the line who was guarded, who didn't even get a shot up. And it's just like I watch it and I thought these guys have no idea what to do right now. Like the Lakers adjusted and they just absolutely refused to shoot mid-range shots. So that's one of the things that. Um, I'm also confident about is the Rockets committed wholly to this one small ball strategy. And I don't really know what the adjustment is for them. Like we saw the Lakers in game one adjust uh, heading into game two, and then they further adjusted again in game three Yeah, with the Rockets that you can adjust how you attack when the Lakers trap or something like that, but it's not like they can really change their play style. They're pretty much committed to playing how they're playing with very few things that they can do differently. And especially if Daniel house is hurt, uh, or I I guess we don't know if he's hurt. If Daniel house is still out Covington, I guess is okay to go. They're already playing six or seven guys. They just don't really have a way to change how things are going. And, if we're going off the last two games, it sure seems right now that the Lakers have figured something out against them. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought all of those points up because it's important to note that when I talk about how well the Lakers have played, I'm talking about how well the Lakers have played in stretches of the game. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, LeBron James was incredible for all of game three. Nobody's taking that away from him. Uh, the Lakers as a team were not. The fourth quarter is really when they locked in defensively and – when they locked in defensively, that led to them getting easy points in transition, which is, um, like, in spite of the the, Ross, the Rockets' roster construction, if the Lakers are going to take advantage of their size, it is going to be in transition, which is why guys like Kyle Kuzma and Anthony Davis are so important, and why Rashawn Rondo was such a big factor, because as good as Alex Crusoe is, unless you have LeBron James on the floor, you're not running in transition because you it's it just not realistic to expect Al Caruso to run the break, at least at this stage of his development. What I really liked from Caruso yesterday, uh, or really any player, was they were rebounding the ball and Rajon Rondo was there waiting to get it to, to run the transition break. He's obviously a guy they trust, and he's proven that he's somebody that can change the pace of the game when he wants to. Um, the biggest concern that you and I had with Rondo, and I think a, a lot of Lakers fans shared this criticism of him, is in the half-court offense, it just seemed like he was a ball stopper a lot of the times. And when you're playing in transition, obviously that's not a huge issue. Um, what I'm most interested in, or the development that, that surprised me the most, I think, is the lineups he's been successful in. Before the series started, or after game one, I tweeted out that I don't care if Rajon Rondo plays 25 minutes per game as long as those minutes don't come with Alex Caruso and LeBron James. Alex Caruso, I'm fine with. If you look at the numbers, even in the regular season, 
Alex Caruso and Rajon Rondo played pretty well together, and it makes sense. Rajon Rondo is a playmaking point guard. Alex Caruso is a secondary playmaker and a defensive-minded point guard that can mask Rondo's deficiencies on that end. LeBron makes less sense because they're both ball-dominant players, and even though LeBron James can play off-ball, when you have a player of his caliber and how talented he is with the ball in his hands, you want the ball in his hands. And that's the whole problem with playing Rondo with LeBron is you're taking the ball out of Rondo's hands. What I've really liked, and I think the most encouraging part of these Rondo minutes that I've seen, is that if it's not in transition, or if it's not to set up other guys in the half court, they are completely ignoring Rondo on offense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredible. Like, obviously, if he's wide open in the corner at the top of the key for a three-pointer, and it's the best shot they have, they'll give it to him. And luckily for the Lakers in the fourth quarter, it worked out yesterday. Um, I think he for a while, he had the only three-pointer of the second half. Um, but, I mean, otherwise, he's – he's not your guy on offense. If if he's not moving the ball or attacking the rim, he's just not somebody you want dribbling the ball too long because he can't create shots off of the dribble um, at a high rate. So that is, that is the development I'm most encouraged to see. Um, and when we get back from the break, we will talk about a few other things that have surprised us uh, in the playoffs so far. Jacob, outside of Rondo, or you can you can even build on what I said before the break because I kind of cut you off there. Um, didn't give you a chance to respond. Um, are you also surprised by how successful Rondo's been in his particular lineups, or is there an adjustment you've seen him make in his game, or maybe Frank Vogel, an adjustment Frank Vogel's made that, it, it kind of makes sense that Rondo's succeeding in this in this role. I was 100% with you. If you had told me uh, before or after game one that one of the most commonly used lineups the Lakers were going to have the next two games, five-man lineups, was Caruso, Rondo, Kuzma, LeBron, and Markeith, I'd be planning off what we're going to do in the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> because... There's no way in hell I would think that five-man grouping would work, but for a variety of reasons it is. One is that Keith has been really, really good. Um, obviously, in game two, he knocked down a bunch of threes. I don't even know that he hit a three. No, he didn't hit it. Or, well, let me make sure I only have the second half pulled up. Yeah, he didn't have a three in game three. I still thought he was really, really good. Um, he only went one of six, but they went to him in the second half, um, over JaVale. I honestly would not be surprised if that's how they start game four. Um, I, I understand it's wild how much things have changed in the three games because after game one, we all kind of thought, well, they need to play the two big lineups so somebody can protect the rim and then quickly figure out, nah, we're just going to basically out small ball them, which I was hesitant about. But Keith did a really good job in the second half in that third quarter. Um, That's been one reason that lineup's worked. Rondo's shooting makes that lineup work. Um, But I also think 
I don't know that's an adjustment, but maybe a reason why it works. LeBron has been really good about – I mean, there's been multiple plays with those lineups where LeBron just gets post position and Rondo throws a pass that only LeBron can get to, basically. Um, whereas AD kind of struggles to post up a P.J. Tucker or a Robert Covington, his struggles mainly come because he has such a high center of gravity – LeBron is basically the same center of gravity of those guys. And there are very, very few people as strong as LeBron in the league. And he can just bully those guys in a way that um, AD can't just because he's honestly, because he's shorter. Um, So there's been multiple possessions there where they've just gotten easy buckets. Um, But the defense as well with that five man lineup, we know Caruso has been a good defender. Um, Rondo has been, honestly, that's almost been as surprising as his offensive output is how good he's been defensively. Um, game two, he pestered the hell out of Harden. Um, I know he got one turnover there in the backcourt, um, picked him clean and laid it in. He's done a really good job of almost kind of playing a free safety at times. Um, he had one play where he faked a double team at Harden knowing where Harden was going to go with the ball and knock the ball out of bounds and just got a steal. Um, and, I mean, LeBron, we've we've talked a lot about his defense, or a lot of people have. I don't know that we specifically have, but he was incredible that third quarter, just blocking everything. Um, and then Keith is another guy. A lot, of, a lot of what I said about AD and not being able to physically – kind of out-strengthen guys because of his center of gravity. Keith is another guy who can bully some of those guys. Um, but a, a long way of getting to this point, another trend I've been surprised with, maybe not surprised, encouraged, is how good Kuzma has been, um, especially in game three. He's been good the whole playoffs, I've thought, but he is really starting to figure out um, – how to be effective, especially when his three-pointer isn't falling. Um, Because he hasn't shot the ball particularly well from three the last two games. But last night he was 7 of 10, 14 points, three rebounds. And he had a couple baskets there at the end of the game to basically seal it. Um, My favorite one was when Rondo drove to the rim and Kuzma just cut away from the ball. um, And Rondo just hit him with a dump off for an easy basket that um, effectively sealed the game. So I know you mentioned his cutting earlier, but I've been really happy, really um, encouraged by what Kuzma's done this series because offensively he's figuring out ways to be productive when his shot isn't falling. And defensively, um, honestly, I thought at times he's got done a little, been a little hard done by with some of the foul calls, but he's been really good at. Um, staying in front of guys, whether it's Harden or whoever else, and just making them make tough shots. Yeah, in game one, I thought he went missing for stretches. And I was a little worried about that because uh, to your point about, you know, some guys struggling to post up, Kyle Kuzma is kind of a tweener, uh, which I think is a term that's kind of been lost in the modern NBA because of how – like the value that's been put on versatile forwards and things like that. Uh, but make no mistake, Kyle Kuzma with, with his build, at least at, at this stage of his career is a tweener. You can play him at the three or four. 
Um, but with him, I, I was worried that the size and quickness of the Rockets was going to negate any progress he made in the first round or since, since we've seen in Orlando. It was just going to be a new challenge for him. Uh, and in game one, I thought he was kind of average, but I, in hindsight, everybody was. Like, there wasn't anybody that was spectacular in game one. And I agree, Kuzma's, Kuzma's looked really good, and I think that role he's found, he kind of alluded to in, in post game, is really just bringing energy off the bench. And I, I know that's, you know, kind of an intangible. Um, and it's certainly not what Lakers fans were hoping to get from him off of the bench uh, at the beginning of the season, but uh, it's not an invaluable skill, especially if he's going to bring it on the defensive end, because if you're a high energy guy on the defensive end and making solid plays, it might not energize your teammates as much as, you know, you hitting pull-up jumpers and back-to-back possessions, Uh, but it's still a good energizer for the team. Um, so in that regard, I'm really, really happy to see with uh, with develop, with how he's developed there. Uh, but again, I, I think the thing I was most impressed by with Guzman Game 3 was his ability to move off the ball in and make himself available for a shot. Um, and I think that was a result of him looking at himself in the mirror after Game 2 and saying, like, I can't just be the guy that stands in the corner. Like, that is um, – a cardinal rule of a power forward that plays on a LeBron James team, especially one that is supposed to make three-pointers. But the shots aren't falling for Kuzma, obviously. It's been that way for the past two seasons. And, but that's not all Kuzma can bring. Kuzma is as talented as he is at creating his own shot on the ball. Off the ball, he can go to the same moves if he's moving in transition. And, um, you know, whether it's, him getting his gather from behind the three-point line and then taking it to the basket or just him driving straight to the basket, um, that's, that soft touch he has is, is really valuable for him on offense. And I'm happy to see him utilizing it more now. Um, I, I'm, I definitely enjoyed the Kyle Kuzma experience. I think the one play that may summarize, if not the whole series, at, last, at least the last two games – um, it was a play in the second half where the ball got knocked loose. Uh, it looks like it's rolling all the way to the far end and out of bounds. And Kuzma is the only one who sprinted the length of the court to chase it down, saves it um, as he goes flying out of bounds. And that's kind of summed up where we're at in this series right now because while he was chasing it, it was James Harden who turned it over. And he just stood there and watched, which – I have a bit of a hardened rant because that, I don't want to get make this like a he needs to have Mamba mentality type of thing, but there are way too many times, if I were a Rockets fan, I would be very annoyed at the amount of times that he get the ball leaves his hands on a double or, or something like that, and he's just content at that point. Like, the Lakers will double, he'll get rid of the ball, and then he doesn't – it basically nothing to get back into a position to get the ball potentially. It's like he made the one pass and he's just kind of my job here is done and he doesn't even seek the ball back. So it it's been 
I don't want this all to come back to bite me. It's been kind of surprisingly easy at times to force the ball out of his hands and force somebody else to make a play because Harden's just willing to – I mean, it's the right play to get rid of the ball when the double comes. But at a certain point, do you want anybody else on that team taking the shot in the fourth quarter? Like, what's the point of having Harden out there in the fourth quarter if it's going to end up in a Russell Westbrook, whatever he's shooting, um, or a Jeff Green three or something where – I mean, if I were a Rocket fan, I would want him demanding the ball more after you get out of those four-on-three situations. But um, I thought that play with – Kuzma and Harden just kind of summarize where the yeah, two teams I, are. It's, I mean, yeah, I. So it's funny to me when I hear you say things like that because it, it seems like a very long time ago now, uh, but it's only a year ago that the Rockets traded for Russell Westbrook and included Chris Paul and a handful of first round picks. Um, and if you're the Rockets or if you're a Rockets fan, I think I'd rather have Chris Paul in this series right now. 100%. That is hilarious to me. Uh, I will get these jokes off while I can because who knows how long the Lakers will have this lead. Um, but I did want to get to the things that have surprised me so far, and they both have to do with shooting. Uh, the first is Danny Green not hitting his three-pointers yet is just so surprising to me. I know it goes against everything we've seen this season. Um, there was no rational reason to believe that he'd ba- like bounce back or, or shake it off before the postseason. But historically speaking, he's gotten it together by the playoffs. And that's, that's all I've been hearing all season is that Danny Green was going get, to get it together by the playoffs. And he very well could still. He just hasn't yet. Like – I, I expect Danny Green to miss three-pointers when he makes them, which is not what I was expecting going into the season. Like, I, I don't think anybody was. Or else, why would the Lakers have paid him $15 million annually? In part to compete with the Dallas Mavericks reported offer of three years, $30 million. Um, but also because if Danny Green was a player he was for the Toronto Raptors last season, that's a guy you pay two years, $30 million for. Um, he hasn't been that player. He's been good on the defensive end. Not great, in my opinion. Just good. Um, but, boy, imagine imagine how much the Lakers would win by, or at least um, <laughs> the deficits they would have avoided being in in the first place if Danny Green just made three-pointers. I wouldn't be against it. Um that's kind of the underlying, I don't want to say issue, but I guess talking point um, when we're talking about how good the Caruso-Rondo lineups have been is that Danny Green and um, for a lot of this series, KCP have neither one been all that great, um, at least offensively. There's still a, a value Danny Green has defensively, but uh, both of them have really struggled with their shots. KCP turned it around a bit. Well, I wouldn't even say a bit. KCP turned it around in the Blazers series, but Danny Green really has not shot well the entire postseason, I don't think. I So the other, the other 
quibble I have with this Lakers roster, uh, at least in the postseason, something that I was not expecting is Anthony Davis free throw percentage. Um, all season long, I counted my lucky stars because, I mean, when's the last time the Lakers had a free throw shooter as reliable as Anthony Davis? It had been a while, especially uh, with the struggles they had in that regard last season, even this season. Like, LeBron James, as we know, is is not an elite three-point shooter at any point in the game, but especially in the fourth quarter or in clutch situations. Uh, Anthony Davis, at least before the Lakers arrived to Orlando, was like a really, really good free-throw shooter. And since he's been in Orlando, it seems like he's split his free throws every time he's been at the line. It's not quite split. I have the numbers up. I was actually going to look up pre-bubble. So before the bubble, Anthony Davis was an 84.5% shooter. And not just that, he was doing it on eight attempts a game. Um, since arriving to the bubble, he is a – oh, that was just – regular season and so yeah since arriving to the bubble so i guess the playoffs he's a 71 percent uh free throw shooter on 10 attempts a game so 15 percent drop off it's been odd yeah it's it was yeah. one of those things for a while where you were just kind of like oh well they'll um he'll figure it out like this is just a one or two game stretch he hasn't shot well in the bubble at all like at least at the free throw line his shot making I thought in game three, some of those mid-range shots he hit were absolutely insane. I guess that's a trade-off we have to make. We didn't know, but we have to make a trade-off. He's going to hit insane mid-range shots that maybe only a, a select few people in the league can make. But also, he's going to become a 70% free throw shooter now. I guess I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if so the Rockets couldn't stop fouling him. On, on Tuesday, and obviously if, you, if you're a high-percentage free-throw shooter and you know how to get to the line, that's awesome. But if you're not making them, I think that that's a problem. And um, So, yeah, I'd like to see him make more free-throws, but not as badly as I'd like to see Danny Green make three-point shots because I not only does that add a dynamic to the – starting lineup, but it also allows you to play different combinations in the second unit with, with Rondo. And um, I don't know. I think Danny Green making three-pointers would, would open things a lot for this team. And really just anybody making three-pointers. Like, Crusoe being an absolute non-shooter has been so depressing. Um, and it's gotten to the point where it's almost been a positive that LeBron's looking a lot of these guys off and just taking it to the basket on his own. And I think that is an underrated aspect of this offensive tear he's been on is I think he's just given up a little bit, not to, you know, create locker room problems that don't exist on the, on the Lakers roster. But I think it's just him being sensible. Like if Caruso's open or I can take it to the basket and try to be stronger than the other guy, Nine times out of ten, LeBron is stronger than the other guy and gets to the basket, as opposed to, like, less than 30% of the time Alex Crusoe makes a three-pointer. Uh, I think he's being smart about it. I'm not upset that he is um, deciding to do it all, all on his own, but I think 
he would prefer, and and the Lakers would just be a more dynamic team if, if other players started hitting three-pointers. So the leaders in this playoff series and three-pointers made, LeBron is 7 of 21. Rondo is 6 of 15. And then Danny Green is 5 of 15. Um, we will enjoy the Rondo resurgence as much as or as long as it lasts. That will eventually regress to the mean, um, which further uh, in- increases the significance of your point that somebody else that is being paid a lot of money to make threes is going to have to step up, whether it's KCP, Danny Green, uh, preferably those two. Um, if Kuzma can find a shot again, uh, Keith had a game, if he can kind of stretch that out, um, one of those guys is going to have to at some point start making three-pointers again. Um, there are a couple, yeah, the, those two things. I think the Lakers as a whole haven't shot free throws very well in, in this series. Both of those things have been kind of a bit under the surface because they've won both games or the last two games, but those are two things that can come back to bite you in close games. I thought it was last night, the free throw shooting. Um, but I don't know what we need to do with Anthony Davis. I guess the virtual fans aren't creating enough of an atmosphere to make them think it's a pre-bubble game. Do something to uh, to get those free throws sorted out for him and do something to get the three-point shooting sorted out for Danny Green. And uh, I would feel even better about this team. Right now, I feel really great about this team. <laughs> Thank you, Rajon Rondo. I you asked, you asked what we were going to podcast about today, and I suggested a 40-minute-long apology to Rajon Rondo. Uh, I will eat all of the crow on him. Every annoying game the last two seasons has been worth it with these last two games because it has been – I was – that three-pointer he hit um, where he kind of sidestepped as the shot clock was running out, and it was this huge arching rainbow shot. I just cackled when that went in. Like, if that's going in, like, that, it's our night. Like, there's, there's no stopping. We have the basketball gods on our side. Um, playoff Rondo is a force that nobody has seen before, at least in a couple of years. And uh, to quote a, a friend of mine, people forgot Rondo was a bucket. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like, I want people to know that I do not care that I was wrong. Like, and maybe it's premature to say I was wrong, but I will say that I was wrong. Um, uh, LeBron, I was going to say LeBron's been very good, but I don't think anybody was arguing that. Uh, Rondo has been very good. And I, I mean, nothing about the way he, He's played tells me it's not sustainable except for maybe his three-point shooting. Um, so if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll take a page out of one of my friends' books, Anthony Irwin, and say <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. Oh, Which I thought you were going to say you were going to buy a, a Rondo jersey if they like his uh, title. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not ready to go there. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it was a fun game. I'm looking forward to more fun games. Uh, and by the next time we speak, there will be more fun games to talk about, hopefully. Um, whether it's – well, 
could is there a possibility the Lakers finish off the series before we talk again? I was about to look it up. They would play uh, Saturday. They play Thursday, Saturday. Yeah, if they win those two alone, that's it. Then they would play Monday. Uh, I mean, there will be there could be four games between now and the next time we talk. Next Wednesday, we could do be doing a a post game show. So honestly, I'd be surprised if the series wasn't wrapped up. Uh, well, pretty soon <laughs> after this, let's hope that next time we're we're talking, we're doing a uh, Western Conference Finals preview between the Lakers and we'll see, but probably the Clippers. Uh, until then. It was nice chatting with you all. It was nice chatting with you, Jacob. Uh, And you'll hear from us next week.